0: Thank you, Anita.
1: Good morning. Today's reading is from Psalm 46, and in Church Bible is page 570. God is our refuge and strength, and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Though its water roar and foam, and the mountain quake with their surging. There's a river whose stream make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her, and she will not fall. God will help her at the peak of the day. Nations are in uproar, kingdom fall. He lift his voice and the earth melt. The Lord Almighty is with us. The Lord of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see the work of the Lord, the desolation he has brought on the earth. He make the war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the brow and shattered the spear. He turned the shields with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress.
0: Thank you, Anita, for bringing us our Bible reading uh, today. Um, That's great. Thank you, Anita. So, um, uh, how do you cope with stress? Well, the Arsenal and England footballer, uh, Bakaio Saka, has this week said that one way in which he copes with stress is through playing online computer games with his friends. Now um, playing for Arsenal, no doubt he does experience quite a lot of stress in his life. But for some of uh, us, the thought of gaming may actually induce stress rather than relieve it. But how do you cope with stress? Or to put it this question another way, how do you cope with the storms of life? All the things that life can throw at us. In our Bible passage today, the psalmist or the author of this psalm uses poetic language to describe the things that assault us and threaten us and causes anxiety and stress. And the the first uh, the category of these storms that we might say it all have a natural cause. So you've got things like uh, ill health, uh, there's concerns about uh, COVID, there's natural disasters, those things that we feel as if we have no control over. They're, they're natural. In uh, verses 2 to 3 of our psalm, we see imagery that encapsulates all of these stresses. We have uh, mountains falling, waters foaming, and this is used to describe the natural uh, uh, causes of fear and anxiety that we might face. But of course, the fears and anxieties that we might face are not wholly natural. There are those that are the result of our own brokenness and the sin of humanity. Uh, We we struggle with relational problems, divided families, selfish ambition, uh, stress that this causes in the workplace. And then at a national and international level, uh, we remember today the conflict And persecution uh, that can come about. And so, also in this psalm, in verse 6, we've got imagery again to encapsulate all these things. We've got nations in uproar and kingdoms falling. And that's used to describe this other realm of storms. And so, whatever storm you may be facing now or you may be facing in the future, uh, the poetry of this psalm is helpful for us because it enables us, it gives us language to bring these things before God. We can enter into this psalm and pray it. So whether you are struggling now with how best to care for uh, an elderly uh, parent or a sick relative, or you may be facing workplace stress or financial pressures, whatever you may be facing, this psalm enables us to uh, pray, bring these things before God. And today, I want to talk to you about the storms of life and the God who stills the storm. Actually, not only does He still the storm, we know He stills the storm, God is also our refuge sometimes he doesn't stop the storm sometimes he just protects us and our refuge so whatever situation you may be facing we all know that there's seasons in life where we feel as if the earth is giving way that the waters are raging and the mountains are falling and these things are close to home and they affect us all personally and we can also testify to the fact that it feels as if nations are, are in uproar and kingdoms are falling. If we think back over just the last couple or three years, uh, we, we've got, had things like Brexit and all the division within our own nation that this highlighted. And we had the, the fall of uh, ISIS and the rise of the Taliban. We've had worldwide protests. We've had uh, the decline or the fall of the high street. We've had extreme weather. We've had uh, tensions between Iran and the US. We've had the killing of George Floyd. And this is not even to mention the repercussions of COVID. We live in what military strategists call a VUCA. World V U C A, which stands for volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous times. And so we live in amidst all these storms of life which moves around us. And so we return to the questions: how can we cope with stress? Well, the author of this psalm says the answer for he or she is clear, it's found in the opening line, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. You see, the psalmist uh, doesn't look to gaming, neither does he look to, to shopping or to chocolate or to long baths or to big glasses of wine. The author of this psalm looks to God and encourages us to do likewise. You see, God is a refuge, it says, and a refuge is a sort of shelter from the storms of life where we can keep safe. And then as the psalm progresses, we have this refrain, don't we? This refrain that says, the Lord Almighty is with us, the God of Jacob is our fortress. A mighty fortress is our God. That was a hymn penned by Martin Luther at the Reformation when basically a death sentence was uh, uh, announced upon him, and he penned a hymn to this psalm, Psalm 46. And for him, the God of Jacob was a mighty fortress. And the same is true for us when we are battered by the storms of life. It says that, it's a, uh, that God is a refuge, a fortress, and this psalm also describes God as a source of strength. When we feel as if we cannot go on, that we've reached the end to ourselves, God gives strength to those who turn to him. And so God is a refuge. He's a, he's a fortress. He's a source of strength. But this is only true when we come to him, when we approach God through Jesus. And that, and when that happens, God stops being a refuge and a fortress and a source of strength. And instead, we can live these words. We can proclaim the words of this psalm with confidence that God is our refuge and our fortress and our strength in times of trouble. The opening line of this psalm also describes God as an ever-present help in times of trouble. Ever-present help in trouble. A a more literal translation of this phrase, ever-present help, is actually God is much to be found. In other words, God is easy to find. Sometimes when life uh, is going well, it's easy to ignore God but when times are difficult, that's when God is much to be found. That's when God is easy to find. That's when we experience God as being ever present with us. And so if you find yourself in that place today, if you find yourself in that place in times to come, know that God is with you. He's easy to find. He is easy ever-present. He wants to be your refuge, your fortress, your strength, your ever-present help. And so we move then on to the question, well, if God is a refuge and offers to be our refuge, how can we enter into this refuge and this fortress? Well, verses 4 to 5 talks about the city of God. And do we notice how this city stands in sharp contrast to the storms that are raging around it? When describing both the natural and the human-made storms of life, the psalmist uses this same language. It says, the waters roar, the nations are in uproar, the earth gives way, the mountains fall, and then it says the kingdoms Fall, And so with all this turmoil, all this roaring and falling, the city of God stands in sharp contrast. The city of God is at peace and the city of God is secure. So instead of roaring and being in uproar, there is a river. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. And amidst all these mountains and kingdoms falling, we read in verse 5 that God is within her and she will not fall. She is secure. So the psalm talks about this city of God. But it's not actually talking about an impregnable city. It's not talking about a metropolis of security where the inhabitants can flee to and Can be exempt from the dangers of history. To be a follower of Jesus does not exempt us from the storms of life, the trials and pains of living in a fallen world. The psalmist is once again, you see, using poetry. Instead of a place, the psalmist is encouraging us to seek the presence of God. Instead of a place, he's encouraging us to seek a presence. You see, to the first recipients of this psalm, the phrase the city of God would have reminded them of Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem was important because it was a place where the temple was, but the temple was important because it was the place where God's presence dwelt. And that's why it was such a disaster for the people of Israel to go into exile, because they were away from the presence of God. And as we move from the Old Testament into the New Testament, we suddenly find Jesus, and he appears, and he talks about himself now as the temple. In John 2, he says, destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. And the temple that he was speaking of was his body. And so we have this movement, don't we? In the early part of the Old Testament, we have the presence of God uh, being wherever the tabernacle moved. So when the tabernacle moved, um, the presence of God moved. And there was this sort of pillar of uh, fire and a pillar of cloud. And the presence of God moved around And then Solomon, King Solomon, built a temple. And then this was now the new place where God's presence dwelt. But when Jesus arrives, he calls himself the temple. Jesus is the presence of God. Jesus is God himself. And then, uh, after his death and his resurrection, Jesus ascends to heaven. And if he ascends into heaven then what happens to the presence of God? Well, then he sends the promised Holy Spirit. And on the day of Pentecost, God's presence came to dwell with us, the people of God, through the Holy Spirit, through the Spirit of Jesus. You see, God's presence on earth is no longer in a physical temple, not in a physical building, but with his people. And in the New Testament, as followers of Jesus, we are now described, for instance, in in many places, as a holy temple, a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. And so how do we today, in New Testament times, enter this refuge, this fortress, this city of God, where the presence of God dwells? Well, we become a part of a community of followers of Jesus. We can become a part of a community of disciples because as we come together as followers of Jesus, God's presence dwells within us. At the beginning of September, I talked about the vision for us as a church community for the coming year, about us being built together as a holy temple. And as we are being built together as a holy temple, it is there within us that the Spirit of God resides and dwells. And so um, uh, we can now attest to this truth as we come together as a community that we can now say these words ourselves: God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. We need one another because when we are with one another, that's where the presence of God dwells, and we find that God is our refuge and our strength. And this passage highlights three things that belonging to a community of disciples gives to us. Firstly, it gives us an eternal perspective. God is our refuge and strength, it says in verse 1 and 2, an ever-present help in times of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. It gives us an eternal perspective, To borrow a phrase from the the best exotic marigold hotel, everything will be all right in the end, and if it's not all right, it's not the end. We have this eternal perspective. As followers of Jesus, we know by faith that everything will be all right in the end, and he will put it right And we hear of this in our passage, verse 9. He, that is God, will make war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. And so this Remembrance Sunday, when we remember and honor the lives of those who lay down their lives in the active pursuit of peace, we not only look back and honor their sacrifice, We also look forward to the day when God himself will make war cease to the ends of the earth. And therefore, we will not fear because we have an eternal perspective. Secondly, as followers of Jesus, we also have an eternal security. Verse 5, God is within her. She will not fail. God will help her at the break of day. We can have confidence that no matter what might be storming around us, God will help us when we need it at the break of day. We can have confidence in God's protection. A mighty fortress is our God. We can have confidence that those who come to Jesus and accept him as Lord and Savior will be welcomed into his kingdom and enjoy eternal security and peace No matter what you have done through the cross of Jesus, we are forgiven and we are adopted into the family. And with this comes an eternal security. And then third, as followers of Jesus, we have an eternal joy. Verse 4, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. Jesus uh, spoke of the Holy Spirit bringing streams of living water. So this river of gladness is now not in a physical city, but this river of gladness can be in our hearts. When we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, when we welcome the Holy Spirit into our lives, when we come together as followers of Jesus, we can experience that eternal joy, a joy that no one can steal. And so as we come in to land on this day when we remember and honor those that lay down their lives for kings and country and also who served their king and or queen and country, I'm also reminded of a woman who laid down her life for her king. Her name was uh, Perpetua and she was executed in an arena in Carthage which is in a suburb of Tunis in Tunisia. This happened in the year 203 AD, and we know quite a lot about her. She was 22 years old. She came from a good family. She was well-educated. She was married. Uh, She was nursing an infant son. And we also know that she was a Christian, and she was loyal to her king, King Jesus. And when asked to pay homage, when asked to worship the emperor, because in those days the emperor would receive worship, she refused to worship the then emperor, Emperor Septimus Severus. Now, Perpetua was therefore sentenced to be thrown to wild animals on the emperor's birthday. And undismayed uh, Perpetua's account, she writes, we went back cheerfully to prison. Notice that eternal Joy, and the day arrives when Perpetua and others enter the arena, and it's described with radiant and shining faces and a calm step. That's how it's described. They walk in to face their 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 their, 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 their future. They challenge the crowd. They remind the crowd that they too will one day face judgment. And then at the crowd's behest, they are first flogged by the gladiators, then one by one they face savage animals. The men are attacked by a boar, a bear, and a leopard, and the women are attacked by a furious horned cow. This is a real account of how Christians were treated. And wounded, perpetua, is thrown down. But then she's suddenly concerned because her hair is all disheveled and messy, and she's worried that her hair might indicate to the crowd that she was grieving instead of being joyful. And so Perpetua stops and asks for a pin from the crowd and puts up her hair in a pin so that the crowd would know she's not grieving, but that she has an eternal joy, and the decision was then taken to kill the wounded Christians. They gave each other a kiss of peace, and they were executed. Perpetua laid down her life for her king, but amidst all these storms of her life, she experienced an eternal perspective, an eternal security, and an eternal joy, an eternal perspective. Perpetua put her loyalty to Jesus above everything else, an eternal security the reason why she could is because the reason why she could embrace the sentence of martyrdom was because of the security that she had in Jesus, and she was even able to witness to Christ through it. And of course, she had that eternal joy. She felt it was a privilege to die for Christ. Did you notice how she stopped proceedings in order to pin up her hair? So, how do you cope with the storms of life? How do you cope uh, uh, with stress? Well, I invite you this morning to start to ditch the chocolate and the wine and the gaming and the shopping or whatever else we use to comfort ourselves. And instead, go to the God who stills the storm, who is our refuge, and we can find His eternal perspective, eternal security, and His eternal So let us pray. Heavenly Father, we know how easy it is when the storms of life hit to flee to those things that are familiar. But Lord, we know ultimately they are but a sticking plaster. That we cannot be made whole by these things. That we can only be made whole by your presence. And so for us all, and particularly for those that are struggling at this time, we invite your presence, your Holy Spirit, to be with us. We turn to you today, and we ask that you would be our refuge, our strength, and our ever-present help in times of trouble come holy spirit we pray amen so saints can i encourage you now to uh, stand and we're going to move into